this has been a, a if, it's, if, if your week's been like my week, heading into this Sunday, it's been a, just, it's been an emotional week, has it not? Just looking at our country at large. And if you're like me, you've probably, if maybe you're on social media, or even if you've just watched the news, there's just, there's just a, 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 an anger that's, that's at the surface of our country. And until we deal with, with the issues that truly are heart issues, we're going to continue to see these challenges and these problems. And I'm using a very small word to describe a very tragic, massively tragic moment. And so this morning, heading into Father's Day, there, there's that on my mind. There's the series we're in on our mind. There's just speaking to dads at large. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to have a traditional Father's Day message that's just to dads today. But I'm going to speak like I'm speaking to dads today. And here's what I mean. I'm going to call it like it is. <laughs> I'm going to pull a little John Wayne action and just... I'm going, to pull the, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to shoot from the hip, so to speak. That's a, probably a poor choice of words given the analogies that we're using. But my point is we're going to, we're going to talk frankly this morning. And we're in, we're in the final chapter and chapters of the book of 1 John. And so if you have a Bible with you, would you turn there? If you use version on your phone, go to 1 John. Not John the Gospel, but 1 John the Epistle. John was one of the original men called to follow Jesus. He's writing a letter to the early church that gets passed around from church to church. And he's about 60, 70 years old. He's a dad. He's a father. And when he speaks to the church, he often writes, Dear children. Because that's the manner in which he is speaking and writing to to these people. And so we have the concluding remarks of his letter to a church that has been taught some very poor teachings. The church is kind of off the mark a little bit. They're wondering what's up and what's down, what's left and right, and they're trying to sort out what it really looks like to follow Jesus, what it really looks like to walk in the light, as John writes how to live your life according to Jesus' commands. And the last part, which is today, is what does it really look like to, to have life in Jesus? Let's do this. Let's read 1 John, shall we? You guys ready this morning? I know it's summertime. I know we got all kinds of people out today. I know vacations, weddings, sleeping in, lake trips, you name it. But can we stay locked in this morning? You guys ready today? All right. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. You're strong. Second row. First John chapter 5, 11 through 13. This is what the scriptures say. It says, this is the testimony. Some of you have a translation that says, this is the record. Again, like a dad. Guys, this is this is what is going down. Okay, this is what John is writing. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life, and he who does not have the son of God does not have life. 
I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. In other words, life is found in Jesus. He's making it real simple. Do you want to know if you have life? Well, that life, that life is found in Jesus. If you don't have life, then you need to ask if you have Jesus. And so the question for us today is simply this. Do you have Jesus? Do you have life? It's not rocket science. Yet, it is one of the things that plague the Christian community. And what I mean by it is simply this. It's that we profess to be followers of Jesus, yet we have no life. We walk around like the walking dead. Zombies, so to speak. Reanimated, yet just showing no demonstration of the power and resurrection of Jesus in our lives. You guys with me today? All right. So there's a Sunday school teacher. I don't even know if this story is true, but I'm going to tell it like it is. Asking the, the Sunday school class, anybody grew up going to Sunday school, by the way? You know, look at all these hands. He's strong. So... The teacher has, has probably a kindergarten class, maybe, maybe a, the seven year first grade class. And she's asking the, her young class in Sunday school to, to, to answer the questions. She's trying to get them to guess what she's describing. And she, she says, I'm thinking of something that lives in trees. I'm thinking of something that eats nuts. No hands go up. She says it can be gray. It can be brown and has a long, bushy tail. No hands go up. Children are looking around the room at each other. No hands. It chatters. Sometimes it flips its tail when it's excited. And finally, one little boy raises his hand. Teacher, sigh of relief, you know, calls on the boy and he says, Well, I, I think you're describing a squirrel but I'm pretty sure the answer is supposed to be Jesus. <laughs> right? It's so true. If you've grown up around anything churchy, anything Christian, the default answer is just Jesus. And you get conditioned to just know what to say. I can stand up here and I can ask you the questions and most of you will just by default know what to say. But that doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. Almost every Sunday night we have dinner at our house and we will go around and we'll talk about what happened at church and what was your favorite thing that happened today. And without question, Morgan, who is my three-year-old, what was your favorite part of the day today? Jesus. Okay, that doesn't even make sense, Morgan. <laughs> And they've just learned that the, this is what you just say. If there's any question about church, Jesus is the answer. God is the answer. Of course it is, right? Well, 
Just because you know Jesus is the answer doesn't mean you live like Jesus is the answer. A lot of us know it here, but we do not live like there's been any change in our life. Or maybe, let me put it this way, we're struggling to live the change in our life. John 17, 3, it says this. Actually, before I read that, let's just wrestle with this for one more second. Because if we're talking about the life of Jesus, what does it mean to have life? That's the question you've got to answer. And my hope is that we answer it today. What does it really mean to be alive in Jesus? John 17, 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that you would know God and that you would know Jesus. Now, oftentimes we get focused on the the word eternal here, and, and obviously it's a biggie, meaning forever. But we don't pay attention to the word life. This is what it means to have life and life forever, that you would know God and Jesus Christ. And might I even throw something in there without anybody freaking out that God would also be able to know you. Obviously, he can know you, but oftentimes we're really good at trying to hide. This is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, none of you here are freaking out about that statement. Most of you are sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, okay, great little message. I'm thinking about my Father's Day buffet. I'm going to go get, I'm going to go grub, go do something at the barbecue, you know, that's happening. Park that for one second and just think. Because there are things that we give answers to and we don't actually mean. This is what I'm getting at. You know the answer, but you don't actually mean what you're saying. I'm going to give you some examples. What are things that people say but don't really mean? Here's one of my favorites. I can't believe I ate the whole thing. Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. You love key lime pie, and you ate the whole dadgum thing. Don't, 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 don't act surprised. You don't mean what you said. How about this? When, when you ask someone on a date, guys, single guys, I'm going to give you some, I'm going to give you, this is a real, some helpful advice. If you ask someone out on a date, And she says, can I think about it? She doesn't need to think about it, okay? If she says, let me get back to you, or the real nice spiritual answer, can I pray about it? (laughs) Oh, no. Things are not off to a good start. I'm letting you know right now things aren't going well. She does not mean what she is saying. I love this one. What do you want to eat? I don't care. Yes, you do. You do care. Because when your wife suggests going to La Bamba and then you say, I don't want that, you do care where you're going to eat. 
You just don't want to muster the energy to think about where you want to eat. You want somebody else to do the heavy lifting so you can say yes when they finally get the right answer. Guilty as charged. I love this. When I ask Amy if, I, if I've got something, you know, I'm putting on my pink shirt today or if I'm putting on a, you know, some different combination, I'll say, hey, babe, how, how, what do you think of this? And she'll just say, looks fine. Now, what she really means is, you don't have time to go change, so let's go. <laughs> the words fine are never the, the, the words you're looking for when, hey, how does this look? Oh, it looks fine. Okay. You don't really mean what you're saying. What you mean is, if I were you, I'd change, but you don't have time, so let's go ahead and go. <clears throat> we say things that we don't mean, and we do it all the time. Do we not? And there are things that you just learn to comfortably say, hey, how's my hair? I love your new haircut. No, you don't. You don't like it at all. What, what does it mean to, 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 to live the life that Jesus has given you? Well, it means knowing Jesus. It means having the life of Jesus. And you, don't even, you, you either don't know what you're saying or you don't actually mean what's coming out of your mouth. Here's what I mean, because we're talking about the life that's in Jesus, the life that you receive from truly knowing him and having relationship with him. And by the way, that word know is used in the, New, in the Old Testament. It's the deepest kind of knowledge that you can have with someone, deeper than even sexual intimacy. Hard to imagine a kind of knowledge that would run deeper than that. But this word, no, isn't a word that we use. You know, do you know where the store is? Yeah, I know where it's at. No, 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 no. We're talking about a, a, a complete vulnerability before God that you, that he would know you and you would know him and that that unhindered, unencumbered life of knowing each other, that is eternal life which means that we would do everything we can to have that kind of relationship with Jesus. But the reality is, when we talk about life, we say life is Jesus. But our actions are, are those that, that treat that new job like that new job will bring you life. We treat our bank accounts like a bank account with more numbers in it will bring you life. We treat the pursuit of that guy or that girl like, the, 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 like that relationship will bring you life. Sometimes we treat our parenting like our children have the capacity to bring us life. Sometimes we treat our families, our spouses, our jobs, our coworkers, the house, the paycheck, you name it, like that particular thing can give us life. And those things will never give you the life that you so desperately desire. Now we know this. And yet, time and time again, our actions betray us. You've heard it said before that the greatest distance in the world is the distance between your head and your heart. And it's really true. 
Today, we're going to bridge that thing. Just because you know Jesus' life doesn't mean you live like Jesus' life. I've got a, a, a clip from one of the greatest movies in the history of humanity. I might have exaggerated a little bit. But it is a great movie. Um, it's called The Princess Bride. And I've got a clip that's going to help us illustrate this problem and issue that we face as Christians. You guys ready? Why don't you roll that clip? Sir? Huh? We're in a terrible rush. Don't rush me, Sonny. You rush a miracle, man, you get right miracles. You got money? 65. I never worked for so little, except once, and that was a very noble cause. This is noble, sir. His wife is crippled. (laughs) Children are on the brink of starvation. You are a rotten liar. I need him to help avenge my father. Murdered these 20 years. Your first story was better. Where's that bellows cram? He probably owes you money, huh? Well, I'll ask him. He's dead. He can't talk. Look who knows so much, huh? Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. Now, mostly dead, he's slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. so important. What you got here, that's worth living for. True love. True love. You heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Yes, Sonny. True love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT. Mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. Oh, man. Princess Bride, vintage, classic, and you heard it straight from Magic Max's mouth. He said, look who knows so much. He's not dead. He's just mostly dead. Mostly dead, meaning he's slightly alive. And he's using it in great terms. Thank God this guy that's supposed to be dead is slightly alive. We've got a chance. But the problem with us as Christians is that we live our life slightly alive, as if that is the, that is the height of Christian living. We're mostly dead. Hear me because I'm not belittling. I'm not getting into theological problems here where we talk about the fact that, well, am I really saved? If I've confessed that Jesus is Lord and Savior, am I a Christian? Yes, If you've put your faith in Jesus, then you are a Christian, hands down. But that doesn't actually mean that you are living fully alive. You can still be kind of slightly alive. Most of us think of eternal life. We think of knowing Jesus as that thing that happens after you die. 
And yet Jesus has made it clear in Scripture that knowing him and walking with him and having the life, this eternal life, begins the moment you profess faith in Jesus Christ. Your life changes. You shouldn't be sitting around, living around, walking around slightly alive. No, we should be fully alive, full of passion, full of joy, full of love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the list goes on. When I was in college many, many moons ago, I went to a Bible study, and it was a Bible study for a fraternity, for fraternities. It was the first time I went. I'd been invited about a thousand times, and I basically went to get this guy to stop inviting me. I was tired of being invited, so I'll do the courtesy attendance moment, and then I won't be invited anymore. It wasn't that I wasn't a Christian. I was. I just, I wasn't interested in all of these other things. The slightly alive version was, was, was all that I really knew, even though deep down inside, there was something inside of me that wanted more. I didn't know how to articulate that. I didn't know how to put it into words. I didn't know what to do about that. But there was something that wanted more, and yet there was this life where this is just all I had known. Christianity was being good, singing songs on Sunday, listening to a preacher, and kind of doing the best that you can with with what you got. And that was good. And hear me, that that was real and genuine, and it kept me from from doing a lot of knuckleheaded things. After all, I was a Christian. But then I went to this Bible study And there was a guy who was the campus director with Every Nation Campus Ministries, and and it's in his living room. He opens his mouth, and it's all these frat guys. He's a year older than me, and he just goes to work preaching the gospel in his living room. And I'm sitting here thinking, who is this dude? I mean, he's just... He is letting the gospel rip. He is preaching about Jesus Christ and what it looks like to be a man and what it looks like to be a woman that's passionately pursuing God with every single thing that you have in your body and in your soul and in your spirit. And I sat there and I thought, either this guy's crazy or this is exactly what I've wanted but I didn't know I even wanted. And I'm sitting there, and all these other guys are sitting there, all the frat guys. And one after the other, people start getting baptized. He fills up his bathtub, (laughs) and just down they go. Down they go. These these rascally, beer-drinking, party-going frat guys who want nothing more in this moment than to give their life to Jesus and to follow him. And it was gritty. It was raw. I'm sure if I looked back and listened to the gospel that was preached, there'd probably be more problems with the presentation of it. 
But hear me. I mean, we were seeing the gospel at work. I was seeing it and feeling it at work in my own life. And I thought to myself, this, this is what I have been wanting. To know the gospel, to know Jesus, to live passionately for him. To give my life to, for his kingdom. To stop fooling around with things in my life that don't honor him. Because all I had known was you just kind of get by. You just kind of survive this life until you go into the next one. And we just live slightly alive. But John is combating that in this message. And he's saying you either have eternal life or you don't. You either know Jesus or you do not. And by the way, in my previous letter, here's what it means to know Jesus. It's eternal life. They're one and the same. And so there should be something inside of us that's actively pursuing a relationship with God that's deeper, that's more full, that's fresh, that's alive, that has power. We shouldn't just stay pursuing the mundane. We shouldn't just stay in a place where we're just settling for average because Jesus hasn't invited you to live an average life he's invited you to partake in eternal life and that eternal life it will wreck you it will mess you up it will make you do things knowing Jesus I do things for my wife that I would not have done as a single guy. I spend money. We go places. We pray prayers. We have conversations. And as we know each other, those become deeper and more fulfilling. Yet the word knowing for Jesus is even that much more intimate than a man and a woman that knows each other. How much more should your relationship with Jesus and knowing him compel you? to open your mouth, to pray, to lose your mind a little bit for the sake of this relationship. I love what, what John does as we close. First John chapter four, it says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And in the last paragraph, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. In his last sentence, he says, we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. 
so much of our life, the life that you are to live in Jesus, gets snared in that very last sentence. And I'm not going to take much time to unpack it because it's fairly simple to understand. John is writing about life. He's writing about eternal life. He's writing about walking in the light. He's, walking, he's, ta- he's writing about what it means to follow Jesus. And in the last sentence, he actually helps us understand what keeps us from actually experiencing that life. Idols. Those things in your life that simply steal affection that you would be giving Jesus you're giving to something else. Whether it's a job, whether you put your hope in a paycheck, a relationship. There are nations and countries that literally are still bowing down to false gods. But many of us as American Christians, as we slip into the mundane, it's not an actual thing you're bowing down to per se. It's the thing that robs your affection that should only be given to Jesus Christ. You put your hope and your love and your joy in money, in a car, in a house, in possessions, in stuff, in a relationship, in a boyfriend, in a girlfriend. Pick the thing. And we walk around slightly alive rather than really, truly walking in the eternal life that Jesus has for you right now. take a moment on this Father's Day having made things hopefully clear what it looks like to know Jesus it means to give your affection to him it means that you would pursue knowing him and letting your life be known and that you would stop giving your life and affection to things that are not Jesus Christ or God Almighty Keep yourself from those things. Follow him. Love him. Know him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. On this Father's Day, God, the Father that is good and the Father that is great, But even more than that today, you're the Father who has given us instruction on what it looks like to know you, to be found by you, to turn away from things that are not of you because they are impacting the intimacy that we might have with you. Father, we don't just simply want to be saved and, and let our Christian our Christianity be a, a get-out-of-hell card. Jesus, we want to know you, the profound knowledge of knowing you and having deep and intimate relationship with you, the kind of relationship that produces life and life more abundantly inside of us. God, that's our hope, and that is our prayer. And this morning, we turn from those things that are not of you. 
if you're sitting here today and there are things in your life that you need to turn from. Maybe it's just something that's been getting too much of your time, too much of your stress and anxiety or fear, and you need to take that that fear and turn it into trust in Jesus and put your faith in him and turn away from that thing. I want to pray with you today. If there's a relationship, if there's a possession, if there's a, if there's a paycheck or a job that has just been stealing what is rightfully due God, today's your day to turn from that thing and to experience the life that Jesus has for you. If you're sitting here this morning and you, you have one of those moments, one of those things, raise your hand because we're going to pray together. Anyone? Mm-hmm. Say, Jesus, I thank you that I can trust you. I thank you that I can put my faith Jesus, today I desire to know you and the life that only you give. Right now, I turn and I choose to follow you, to pursue you, to love you with all of my heart, soul, strength.